Welcome to Queen of the Ring, the podcast that's all about women's wrestling. My name is Alexa. The disastrous bacchanal that was the collaboration between World Wrestling Entertainment and Girls Gone Wild took place on March 13, 2003. While the expectations were really high, the result was abysmally, abysmally disappointing. And through examining these strange moments in history, I hope that we can see what our culture was thinking about at that time and kind of where this came from and how it got to be what it was. I'm going to be pulling heavily from an article written by Becky Diamond for Wrestle In, and the article is called You Can't Do That, Thank You Very Much, The Disastrous WWE and Girls Gone Wild Pay-Per-View. My retelling of this story might seem a little bit chaotic, and I think it's because this collaboration itself and this event was chaotic, and I hope that you enjoy listening to this crazy story. To set the scene where this strange event was birthed, Diamond emphasizes in her piece that in 2003, the WWE was really feeling the effects of the ending Attitude Era. For example, I chose dates around my birthday because I'm selfish, but in 1999, on August 9th, Monday Night Raw's rating was a 6.4, which is pretty good. And just... Three years later, leading up to this pay-per-view, August 12th, 2002, the rating was a 3.9, which is significantly lower. And I know I gave you guys random dates, but I'm going to put the website with the ratings from those years in the description notes and stuff if you would like to look at it there for yourself, because it does fluctuate, but it is overall quite lower. Like... Also in 1999, the Undertaker and Stone Cold match, one of them got a 9.5 rating, which is just absolutely insane. That's like reserved for Super Bowls and the MASH finale. I don't know. So these higher-ups were really feeling the effects of the closing and ending Attitude Era. When you look into the crowd at the seas of posters in the late 90s and very early 2000s, it's almost disorienting to the human eye. It's all this stadium with stacked and stacked rows of seats, and there's like a two-to-one ratio on posters to people. And that had really started to change, and it was a visual change that they could see. They were desperate to maintain what is to them their most important demographic, young men. And as a result of needing to keep their attention, the WWE's answer was to make their content more violent, more graphic, and overall more sexual. I'm not a sociologist or anything, but I kind of want to set a setting that 
allowed this change in the media landscape to happen. As the 1980s come to a close and we find our way into 1990s America, the young people who were in Reagan's 80s and they were children began to do what every youthful generation does and shift away from their parents' ideals. And it seemed like our media space at this time was like obsessed with either showing or condemning what they refer to as trashy. Like an example I'll point to is the August 22nd, 1994 New York Magazine cover of the lovely Anna Nicole Smith, who looks absolutely adorable, might I add. On the cover of New York Magazine, she sits with a bag of chips between her legs and her hand in the bag, and she's smiling at the camera, and over her chest in black, thick font, New York Magazine put, White Trash Nation, and next to her is a list of people they refer to as such. Some of them being Tanya Harding, Lisa Marie, John and Lorena Bobbitt, and more, like Roseanne and stuff. But it finishes up with, Lock Up Your Twinkies. The article is atrocious, and I really don't know what the author was getting at and what any of those people have to do with one another. It just seems like classist bullshit. There were these talk shows coming on like Jenny Jones, Jerry Springer, Maury, and others, Geraldo. The lens was turning onto real people and their woes, which were real or not. But it was as a form of entertainment, you know, the real world, reality television, was really starting to get its feet under itself. And naturally, there was a turn into the salacious side. And I'm not going to give a full detailed history of Girls Gone Wild, because I, I bet that there's much smarter and much more informed people than I doing that. And I'm really here to talk about the WWE. But I do think it's important to get just a little bit of the story to understand where we're coming from. So what became Girls Gone Wild started in 1996 as Joe Francis, a production assistant on Real TV, a show that featured like home videos, like America's Funniest Home Videos, but darker, people being rescued, escapes, accidents, like Scarred before the TV show Scarred. Joe would spend hours and hours of his days at his job watching through these insane videos, but was also being exposed to this footage that couldn't be used on the show. He saw some really disturbing things like executions, graphic accidents, etc. And Joe decided to capitalize upon that pain he was seeing and compile them all together into a DVD called Banned from Television. And to me, this DVD Banned from Television that he would sell by mail order just reads like a televisual rotten.com. Like it seems like he saw that and just wanted to capitalize on it as much as he could. But amidst all of these incredibly heinous videos he had to watch, he would also come upon these reels and reels and reels of footage that was taken from spring breaks all over the U.S. and clips from Mardi Gras, you know, where girls that are just super drunk are showing their boobs for some beads, just like Jerry Springer. <laughs> and from seeing all of these things, Girls Gone Wild was born. It came in just at the right time, I think, to go back to what I said before. These once Reaganited children are now becoming teenagers and young adults 
basically it just exploded and made Joe Francis a millionaire. A millionaire who would pay his subjects, who were the actual draw of the whole thing, in a simple t-shirt for their time. Through a series of, I'd say, unfortunate events, Jason Hervey, who was once the star of The Wonder Years, was involved in storylines at the National Wrestling Alliance, aka NWA, and he met Eric Bischoff, who was the vice president of WCW at the time, World Championship Wrestling. They kind of hit it off and decided that in the early 2000s, they were going to start an entertainment production company. So it was called Bischoff Hervey Entertainment. So outside of owning this entertainment company with Eric Bischoff, Mr. Wonder Years' Jason Hervey also worked at Mandalay Entertainment, which produced your favorite movie, I Know What You Did Last Summer. Also, Mandalay Entertainment owned Girls Gone Wild at this time. Basically, Jason Hervey, Mr. Wonder Years, also worked in the sports subsection of Mandalay Entertainment. And while he was there, he got the chance to meet Joe Francis. And they apparently got along so well, they decided that they wanted to do a business adventure in the future together. And through Mr. Wonder Years, Jason Hervey gives the opportunity for Eric Bischoff to meet Joe Francis. When Eric Bischoff talks about this, he says at this time, in the early 2000s, the McMahons were interested in buying the entire company of Playboy. And I cannot be serious enough when I say that this is like the most affirming piece of information I have found out while researching this podcast. It just makes me want to keep going because, yes, that makes sense. But... I guess Joe Francis wanted to buy Playboy at the time, too, so Bischoff decided that he would set up a meeting between Linda McMahon and Joe Francis. The meeting of these diabolical minds obviously did not result in a purchase of Playboy. We would have all seen that, but it did create its own other little monster. The Girls Gone Wild and WWE pay-per-view was on. As the pay-per-view came closer and closer, the WWE's promotion for this was very, very suggestive and salacious, and they were basically promising the whole time that the audience would be seeing some boobs and butts of their WWE divas. And in the pay-per-view, they promised a body contest (laughs) that would be asking the question, who is hotter naked, Nydia or Tori Wilson? who at the moment was going to be on the cover of Playboy. This pay-per-view cost $20, and it was rated M.A. for Mature. Outside of the wrestling and diva content that they would be producing, there would also be a contest for someone to be named Miss Girls Gone Wild 2003, where they would be winning a prize of $25,000. So the contestants are just like 12 random girls that they picked off the beach in Texas where they're filming this. They're filming it like kind of right by Corpus Christi, but like on those islands that are connected to the, you know, that are on the Gulf of Mexico. I just can't remember specifically what it is. As the pay-per-view starts, live from spring break... (laughs) The judges, who are going to be judging these 12 contestants, all start to walk out with drinks already in their hands. First, we have Tori Wilson. Please describe to me how you get a great 
great blowjob. Test. Well, hell, let's get right to it. Spin or swallow. We got Snoop Dogg. Ass and titties. <laughs> Joe Francis. Do we just announce the winner now or should we wait? And then there's a couple other people, but honestly, they're not really focused on. Our hosts of the night are Stacy Keebler and Coach. Now, we have a lot of beautiful yet crazy girls back there, but only one will be crowned the Girls Gone Wild 2003. And they kind of become pseudo-judges somehow. The first round of this contest for these 12 women is just them walking out one by one, and our host, Stacy tells us a very lukewarm sex fact about them. And it, it's a little unwatchable because it's kind of boring and just all over the place. <laughs> like for one of the girls, she says, she likes to have sex in front of mirrors. And it's like, okay. <laughs> this first round of questioning really inspires a terrible moment while they're introducing all of these girls that are going to be in the contest. Joe Francis, the grossest guy, asks a girl, how old were you when you lost your virginity? And when she answers, I'm still a virgin, the crowd begins to rain down booze. Only after Snoop and Joe Francis started it, though. Then Joe Francis says, If we have stones right now, I think these people would stone you. Featured on Test's body, like the front of his pelvis area (laughs) is a little camera that they keep calling tests testicle camera where he's just capturing the contestants asses as they walk by from underneath and during this initial introduction we see some of the girls boobs and the crowd sort of cheers but like you watch them become desensitized to it after they see like their third set and being cut in between these rounds and different activities they're doing I guess are these clips of like girls gone wild clips of people in spring break in Florida or other places in Texas let me ask you what made you decide to take your shirt off and get in the hot tub tonight we just felt like getting wild tonight after this round comes around they deem evening wear but it's just lingerie so the 12 girls come out of their lingerie blah 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 and next is finally what the fans have actually been waiting for and the supposed body contest between Nydia and Tori. Nydia comes on the stage and as she seductively begins to take off her shirt and pull down her bra she's like oh no not so fast and it's like fuck you to the audience making her the heel because she won't show them tits. This leaves the audience and judges panel to naturally start chanting, show your tits, show your tits, show your tits. And when she doesn't, not all hope is lost for the treacherously drunk crowd and the viewers at home. After Nydia's disappointing display, or lack thereof, another music starts and Tori Wilson comes walking down the stairs with another drink in her hand. She looks pretty wasted and she must have snuck off from the judges panel to change because she's in this floral bikini. She walks over to Stacy Keebler, hands her a shot, and Stacy licks salt or lime or something out of Tori's boobs and it gets like the loudest roar of applause they've had so far. As Tori begins to sexily find her way out of this floral bathing suit set she has on, 
She is just about to pull her top off all the way. When out of frame, Nydia comes from the side and hits her to the ground with a chair that is more like a bar stool than a chair. It's absolutely insane. She just flattens to the floor. And they go on to have a cat fight with Tori having to be dragged off the stage by three crew members because she's just completely passed out from fighting. And Sk- and Stacy says in her very drunk drawl, spilling over Coach as he's trying to explain what just happened in exciting words. But Stacy just gets out. Okay, Nidia and Tori are done for tonight, but the show goes on. And because that was only like a four minute segment (laughs) they have to quickly refocus back to the 12 women from earlier to have a swimsuit competition that is kind of unmemorable to be honest so we're just going to fast forward to this in her article diamond says quote the 12 women from earlier are called out one last time for the talent contest a drunk test spins a wheel with a load of misspelled quote unquote talents These talents are so fucking odd. It's like more of a game show than an actual talent show. (laughs) Like they spin this big wheel, one girl does, and it lands on balls in the mouth. And that just means she has to stuff a bunch of different, I mean, just a bunch of uh, marshmallows in her mouth and see how many she can get in there. And there's one that's fake an orgasm. And that's unfortunately the virgin and... Everybody has a very good time telling her, you don't know how to fake an orgasm because you've never had sex. And so she just starts moaning unconvincingly until coach gets scared. And then another girl spins this big wheel and it lands on BGGW, B Girls Gone Wild. And that just means take your top off. Because the judges are drinking this whole entire time, they're just becoming more and more drunk and their microphones are slowly being turned down more and more as they yell things at the girls like get naked the com- the competition is continuously devolving into more and more debauchery because everybody's wasted and it's just very like sadly reminds you that the the roles are usually reversed in girls gone wild situations it's very indicative of the type of positions the women in the clips are being put in because they're all very vulnerable just by how intoxicated they are because that's the type of environment that they're taking these videos in when it's just very natural to get fucking wasted. My main source quotes, The vibe becomes even seedier with the drunken judges trying to push the envelope way beyond coach's limits. The standoff is a bit tense with these poor women in the middle facing a dilemma of getting booed for being a prude or getting arrested for going too far. Because there's cops by, obviously public nudity is not legal. To quickly jump back to when I said that the virgin came out again and spun the wheel to unconvincingly moan. She also was standing on the stage just waiting for this all to be over, I imagine. And Snoop and Joe Francis start yelling at her to take off her relatively modest baby pink dress. And when she refuses, Snoop starts screaming at her over again in his mic. Lift your skirt! Lift your skirt! Lift your skirt. Lift your skirt. Test. Lift your skirt. Test. Every guy out here is going, Lift that's what my girl sounds 
Lift it up. You might win. Lift it up. Lift it up. Come on, win. All right, here we go. You bullshit. You bullshit. You never win. I cut it off right as Stacy starts to yell, she must not need $25,000. This thing is just truly all over the place and becoming very freaky and scary, I would imagine, for some of the girls. What comes next, I really cannot emphasize more, is just a bunch of different phallic-shaped foods being shoved into girls' mouths and between the mouths as they make out with their contestants. And this is all coming towards the end of the pay-per-view. My original source quotes, The entire event limps to a close, with Donna Sum being named Miss Girls Gone Wild 2003, an accolade that seems to have disappeared from the internet completely along with Miss Sun. As the show runs out of time, women from the audience are invited on stage for the world's biggest flash. Fittingly, it is a disorganized mess where you can't see what's going on and Coach bids everyone a good night, unquote. Like for real, so disorganized. It as it's ending, they're inviting these girls from the audience to crowd the stage, and so many get on the stage that it takes like five minutes, but it's the last five minutes, and then they all take their tops off and it's done. It's just like very does not make sense. So this pay-per-view was expected to do well, obviously, but twas not the case. There was an expected three hundred thousand purchases which would have equated to $6 million almost. Well, I mean, it would, but with taxes or whatever. But then the WWE announced that there would be a lower expectation of 70,000 purchases. And without disclosing the amount that actually were purchased, or at least maybe I couldn't find it, they said that it was a lot lower than that and it did not come close to either of their expectations. Literally one month after this pay-per-view, Joe Francis was arrested. It wasn't related to this specific event, but it was the fact that he had been taking these lurid videos of girls who were 16 and 17 sometimes, so child porn. But that wasn't his only offense. That just opened a door into charges of tax evasion, bribery, and unpaid gambling debts. Girls Gone Wild went out of business and became defunct in 2013. And it kind of came out later that Joe was a very frightening presence in a lot of these girls' lives, and as he was being brought to justice, more recently, he skipped out on his charges and fled to Mexico with his wife and daughters. There's definitely a lot more to this story and a lot more to the people who went through this, and I imagine there's really great sources, like maybe that new uh, series that's coming out, I think, on TNT. To get back to why we are really here... The WWE immediately tried to force fans to forget that this ever happened, and it was pretty successful because, I mean, I didn't know about it until a couple of months ago, but maybe other people did, I'm not sure. But there was no mention of this pay-per-view, no additional storylines, nothing. The only time it was really dug back up and re-excavated from the very, very deep grave of the internet that they tried to bury it into (laughs) was when Linda McMahon had a failed Senate run in 2010, but before it was failed, Politico did an article about the whole weird event. (laughs) And, but unfortunately, Linda McMahon in 2016 did get brought into Trump's cabinet. And I don't think it was brought up again until last year when Becky Diamond wrote this incredible piece that I've been quoting throughout this whole thing. 
And when I think about this as an abstract idea, like this collaboration between these two things, wrestling, crossing over with a trashy, sexy thing, you know, it it sounds kind of fun. Like it reminds me of one of my favorite tweets of all time because I have felt this way forever. But after Scarlett Bordeaux was released from NXT and WWE, she tweeted, Time to fulfill my wrestling dream of having a hardcore brawn panties match. Ah, I screamed when I saw it because I love it. That's what I picture when I think of something like this. But it obviously, that is not what this was. And I know people have a weird reaction to, you know, hearing me say I'm excited by a hardcore bra and panties match, but because of this this type of expo- exploitation and taking advantage of I've been talking about, we are very wary as a public to go there and to go back there. But as we go on into the future, it is empowering for people who have been sexualized and been exploited to make their own decisions and use their sexuality for themselves in the reasons and the ways that they want to. And this, this thing we're talking about, was anything, anything but that. And to make it worse, there was no wrestling in this event. The closest it got was a catfight that mostly began and ended with a chair shot. And it just shows that women wrestlers were not the WWE's priority ever, and they still aren't. This beautifully silly, wrenching, and passionate industry is only made so much cooler by its feminine representations and whatever that, whatever form that could take. But they just didn't view women like that. And their teaming up with Joe Francis and Girls Gone Wild really shows that. These would seem like very inconsequential and ridiculous events in history, I feel like can really tell us uh, as a society what we value. And this shows a really weird microcosm, an example of that. I personally can't recommend that you watch the pay-per-view because it's kind of unwatchable. Like I said, it's kind of boring somehow. I, I don't know how it could be so boring with so many boobs, but if you're feeling brave, go for it. And this just kind of reminds me of a story that recently came out about the ex-WWE wrestler and now AEW star, Tony Storm, an Australian wrestler. She recently came out and said that in a segment in the WWE that aired a few months ago, where she gets pied in the face, that original storyline that they proposed to her instead of the pie was her getting stripped down to her bra and underwear. And that's in 2022. That was the way that they wanted to degrade her. The same way that they wanted to degrade the other women that they've been doing it with for so long. And yes, they gave her the choice to say no to that, which is refreshing since many women who have talked about having these types of scenarios in the WWE say that their job relied on it. So I'm happy that they've changed that small piece of information. Now you can make your own choice, but it's just not very convincing and it's not very exciting. They're still not treating their women like they treat their men wrestlers. And I don't want to say it's because they don't view women as people, but it might be. (laughs) But 
I don't know. I hope maybe one day they can find their way out of this strange crypt that they've put themselves inside of. If you're still listening, I want to say thank you so much. Queen of the Ring was written by me, Alexa Pruitt. The music is by Kreider Dane of Helter Skelter Music Productions. And if you like what you hear, join us again. Thank you. Thank you.